Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel Ann Lindsay. Rachel, little Tay is alive. Isn't this the oddest story? I mean, thank, yeah. thank goodness, right? Like, and her brother, right? It was the reported that she and her brother had passed away. Thank goodness they're alive. But this is an odd story. Yeah, we're not going to go into this. This is a part of pleasantries because it's too clout chasey and ridiculous for us to really oh, even that- cover. Oh, yeah. I thought you said you were saying that they were clout chasing. They are clout chasing. What? So you don't think you don't think her social media was hacked? Fuck no. That's somebody, disgusting. somebody That's was chasing clout for sure. By the way, I never thought that she was dead. If you guys don't know what we're talking about, Lil Tay is a influencer. She's a young lady that used to sing along to different, whatever. It was crazy. Her parents were exploiting her. It was fucked up. Her brother was one of the people. It recently, uh, some of the behind the scenes videos came out. And then uh, yesterday, all of a sudden, it was posted up on her Instagram that she had passed away. And it was like, bear with us at this time. And I was one of the people that was like, I don't think this is true. Why? What made you say that? Because it didn't make any sense. The brother and her are passed away. We've heard nothing from police. Then once they got to po- got to police, police were like, "Ah, oh, we're not investigating this. This, there's nothing on our table that has to do with any of this." I was like, "Oh, it's not true." Then they come out I'm telling you, man, it's a sick internet era. That's what I guess I just expected. More people like death. You want to fake your death? It's there's just been people so that have actually died died clout chasing on the internet. This one guy had his girlfriend shoot him in the chest with a desert eagle. And he it's a 40 caliber pistol. It's like a gigantic pistol. Maybe actually a 50 caliber pistol. Maybe a 50 caliber. They might have a 40 caliber and a 50 caliber. I think it's a 50 caliber. Desert eagle. You've seen it. It's got the triangular barrel. Probably seen it. Okay. And he had his girl point the desert eagle at his chest while he held a book on his chest. What the hell? And the Desert Eagle was supposed, the bullet was supposed to be stopped by the book, wasn't dead. The girl went to jail. And and it was cloud chasing because they were filming this and were going to post it? That's what he did. He was like a daredevil. They were filming it to go online and he died and they prosecuted her even though he begged her to do it. Well, we don't know if he begged her. He's not here to tell that story. No, we do know because she said. We do know. She said. That's what I'm saying. We take her word for it. Wrong. There are text messages of him asking her over and over. Don't talk to me about trials unless you know what happens in the trial. (laughs) I watch this stuff. <laughs> there are text messages of her asking him over and over and over again to do it. She didn't want to do it. She did it. He died. She went to jail. It's facts. I just, I might have heard that story before, but enough. Because people were really like, I would see people say, oh my gosh, my son, my daughter's going to be devastated to hear this news. Yeah. I only started to suspect it when the dad was like, we don't know what they're talking about. And it took them, they had no idea what was happening. Like they hadn't been notified or anything. That's, it sounded suspicious, but I just, I guess I just had a little hope in humanity. Um, I have hope in humanity. That's why I'm going to 
address something right now. Okay, so on the last podcast, we had Dr. Rabbi Ari Lamb to come on and talk to us about Black and Jewish relations, okay, on the heels of the Jamie Foxx situation. We had a robust, nearly hour interview with Ari Lamb, who Mm -hmm. I love. Okay, it's time for accountability. It's time for accountability. It's time for account. Uh uh-uh. uh, it's time for account. Uh uh-uh. uh, it's time for accountability. I don't know about Rachel. Don't know about Donnie. Don't know about Ashley. Don't know about Chloe the alien. But I don't have any idea about the social or religious divisions inside of the Jewish community. I live here around a lot of Orthodox Jews. Um, It's a very common thing because in this building where we live, uh, to know that you better not lock yourself out on Friday night. Because if you lock yourself out on Friday night, the family that manages the building, they cannot come to help you until Sunday because they are Orthodox Jews. And from Friday night at sundown to, I guess, Saturday night, but really it's till Sunday that you can get in touch with them. If you text them for anything in the building, they're out of pocket. Love the guy. He's a fantastic guy. A lot of my neighbors, I live in a very, I live in an Orthodox Jewish uh, neighborhood here in Los Angeles. A lot of my neighbors, Orthodox Jews, um, the whole nine. You come down here on Pico, all the restaurants are kosher. It's the part of the city. So I realized that there is a difference between uh, and, and, and those ladies and gentlemen and some of the ladies and gentlemen that I've worked with in the past and stuff like that. I get that. But I don't know what the thing is. I don't know what it is. I don't know the demographics. I don't know any of that. So when Rabbi Lamb was talking about what he felt like was, A, the future of the Jewish community, and B, uh, I guess, I don't want to say authenticity. Did they come off like authenticity to you, Rach? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when he was saying that, I wasn't really in a position to challenge him in terms of, well, I have to speak for somebody. I didn't know, I mean, I, I would be in a weird spot if I went on somebody else's podcast and they were asking me about the black community and then I said something, and then it went, no. Um, however, that's why when I speak about the black community, I speak particularly about the black community in South Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I'm from, because it's 40 million black people here, and Mr. Lathan cannot speak for them all. Uh, so I want to acknowledge that there were a lot of the Jewish listeners of the podcast who felt like Rabbi Lamb was minimizing their experience in America and was uh, not factoring in their cultural lives and their cultural allegiance to Judaism uh, during that conversation. I think that it's a fair thing to say. I think it's a fair gripe to have. I actually talked to my therapist about this, who is a brilliant Jewish man, and he felt the way as well. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, <laughs> he, he was like, well, 
I don't think that's fair to say. And he also, I, I don't want to, he also gave me some information that I don't think the doctor, Dr. Lamb would like very much, but I love Dr. Lamb. I love uh, Rabbi Lamb. And I think that he has all of the best intentions at heart. However, for those out there who felt minimized or uh, felt overlooked in that, I certainly want to say that was not our intention here on Higher Learning. Not at all. And I, I think it was, it, it, and you kind of summed this up, you know, not to harp on it too much, but I think it was, we were in a rock and a hard place. I, we both admit when we bring experts on, we bring them on because we don't feel qualified or well-versed to speak on a particular topic. And so we've brought Dr. Lamb, Dr. Rabbi Ari Lamb on here before, especially to talk about strained relationships between Black and Jewish people. And you know, the first time was great. The second time, this was a different perspective, which again, like you, I didn't feel, I, I trusted what was being said to me and fe- felt he had the authority to speak on it. It was in talking to other people that I realized the, the how do I say it? I realized that that wasn't the case. That's awesome. Yeah, that, he, that and, they didn't like, they didn't like what the fuck he was saying. But I appreciate I received a lot of messages. Friends contacted me who who heard it. And I appreciate them letting us know, hey, like this is what's up. Because you don't know what you don't know. And so, yeah. you know, would we'd be open. I think I even saw on Reddit, they were trying to give us suggestions of who to bring on. Yeah, I'll bring them all on. Here's the thing. I will say this though. It is interesting though that that was able to completely almost overpower what the conversation was supposed to be about. No, it did overpower. That's a problem. It flat out did. That's an issue. That's an issue that we weren't able to go past that and think about it. But I can almost understand why. But at the same time, it seems like there was another kind of reason to skirt the actual conversation that we were there to have. You know um, what I think too? There's just I so think- many cultural things that are in the way of that conversation being had sometimes. You know why I think our listeners looked over it? Because our listeners, I feel, understood what the problem was. I mean, understood that there was not a problem in what I mean, Jamie Foxx said. No, nah, I think it was, I don't think that's true at all. I think it was mad people that I think that I think that is I think there were mad people that were like, nah. I mean, I was there are people that are out now calling me a hypocrite and said that I was a hypocrite because I expect people to understand things that upset black Americans, but I can't understand something that the Jewish community would be upset about. No, so that's not what I'm ever, saying. Like, like our listeners. Okay. What's she saying? No, I'm saying that the reason you said it overshadowed what the conversation was supposed to be about. I think people looked past it because they were already like, yeah, we understand that Jamie Foxx didn't mean what it had blown up to me. And so they focused on the other, on what upset them. That's right. what I'm saying. And, and what I'm saying is I think that there were plenty of listeners of our podcast that said, hey, Jamie was all fucked up. I think that there's a, a, a at least a sizable oh. contingent of people that feel that way, which is okay. It's okay for everyone to feel the way they feel about that. What's not okay is to not discuss it in earnest, right? Sure. It's not okay to... Uh, to let the perfect be the enemy of the good, you know, in a situation like that. Uh, 
that conversation will be had here on this podcast again. We will take your suggestions and bring somebody on that represents a different side of Judaism and have that conversation about what it means to be a secular Jew here in America and the push-pull between uh, being not quite as tied to certain traditions and still maintaining um, a, a deep, deep, deep reverence, love, and a feeling of protection from who you are and having the trauma, the generational trauma of knowing people and knowing about Jews from all over the world that have been persecuted for who they are. Um, and caring about the future of Judaism. If just, I'm sure it's not all one way. It's not, it's not a monolith. Uh, so yeah, we heard you. Um, and we will take it into consideration. But I will tell you this. You got any more problems of this? I've told a lot of people this. Any more problems of this? Go talk to Dr. Lamb now. Okay. Have you talked to him since the podcast? No, I haven't, but I will talk to him this weekend. I'm sure he'll be very interested in all the discourse that's surrounding this. And I'm sure he's gotten some of it, but you know, I'm not the, just talk to, take it up with him. All right. Shout out to him. Um, all right. Uh, we got to move on. Big deal of the day. We promised it. Prager you. Down in Florida, they're going to teach the kids about niggas on the other side of this break. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. All right, so Ron DeSantis and the uh, the right, he's kind of the figurehead for that. Wouldn't you say, wouldn't you say that Ron DeSantis is the figurehead for anti-woke right now in America? Proudly. That's the, his whole thing is based off of being anti-woke. You ask anybody what Ron DeSantis stands for, it's that. Who would you say? The woke. Who would you say are the top anti wokes right now? If you had to name them, everybody the, can jump in on this. The loudest anti wokes, biggest anti wokes in the world. You know what's crazy? I wouldn't put if I had to name three. Trump wouldn't be one of them. It would mm. be DeSantis, Abbott. Because oh. I'm also looking at the things that they're doing with their fight against the woke, okay. and um. I'm going to say Vivek because I just had to read up on him mm. and my good and my goodness. So he's fresh on my mind. I'm sure people will disagree, but I wouldn't put Trump. So you just you just went with politicians. I just named politicians. Yes. So I'll go outside of that because I think okay. it's DeSantis. These are the top three anti-woke 
uh, crusaders in the world to me. And I would agree that Trump is probably not one of them. Trump is too self-centered to make it about woke as much. And if you pay attention to Trump, there are little breaks with him in some of this stuff. Like, Trump is a vaccine peddler. <laughs> he thinks, like, obviously he is. And so there's some, there's some little breaks in there uh, for as destructive and terrible and ridiculous as what he is. And he's their, he's their daddy. So he's sure. the figurehead for it. But I would say the top three anti-wokes in the world right now for me are DeSantis, mm-hmm. Candace Owens, sure, and Bill Maher. Yeah, Bill Maher. I think Bill Maher <laughs> is on a Ron DeSantis level of obsession with combating wokeness. He went live agree. from a Mojo Dojo Casa house and <laughs> he dissed the Barbie movie. I can't handle it. Anyway. All right. Um, so uh, to combat wokeness, uh, Republicans are doing exactly what they're uh, accusing Democrats of, the left of, the radical left. They're indoctrinating children. This is happening in Florida. The Florida Education Department has approved PragerU videos uh, to help educate kids in public schools. Now, uh, these videos are from PragerU. I'm sure you've heard of PragerU before. Candace Owens is over there. They make all types of videos that are right of center to both debunk and incubate American political ideology that comes from the right side. Uh, they say they're creating these videos to provide a free alternative to the dominant left-wing ideology and culture, media, and education. Some of the narrators of these videos include Tucker Carlson and Candace Owens. I would also say that Tucker Carlson is probably up there in uh, sure. wokeness, uh, kind of, uh, I'm against woke, um, right there with Candace Owens, but Candace Owens is directly got woke in her goddamn sights. Um, now, a lot of people have said these videos are propaganda. But here on Higher Learning, we want to have a, 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 a open mind, right? And then oh. we want to have an open mind about the videos, right? You want to You want to have an open mind? Okay. Yeah, why not? Let's sure. listen to some of the, let's, let's listen to some excerpts. Let's do that. And see if what's going on down there in Florida, okay, is indoctrination or inspiring. Could be either one. <laughs> All right. So there's one video here uh, where Christopher Columbus meets a native person. Christopher Columbus. I'm not going to give you any woke ideology about Christopher Columbus. Okay. I'm not going to tell you what I think because I'm all woke, wokeity woke. I'm going to let Christopher talk for himself. Donnie, give me the audio. Slavery is as old as time and it's taken place in every corner of the world. That's Christopher Even amongst Columbus? the people I just yeah. left. That's being taken as a slave is better than being killed, no? Before you judge, you must ask yourself, what did the culture and society of the time treat as no big deal? Okay, so what did the culture and society of the time treat as no big deal? All right. Um, you you talked over part of them. You didn't want Christopher to have his say. Sorry. Uh, it, no, <laughs> you it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you, you're not having an open mind about that, which is how I know that you're not you're, you're down. Sorry. You're part of the woke mind. That's how Sorry. I know you're part it's of the woke It's a disease. Mind. I've been infected. All right. If you're not prepared to listen to what Christopher Columbus has to do with slavery, and we'll talk about that, uh, what he has to say about slavery, we'll talk about that after. Let's listen to 
someone who is unimpeachable in uh, America, Americana, someone who we know that we trust, someone who is the very face of freedom in this country. That's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. What does he have to say to the kids of Florida? Donnie, let us roll it. Have you always stood up for what's right? Well, from a very early age, I was aware of right and wrong. And when I detected wrong, it gave me a horrible feeling. As a young boy, perhaps just a few years younger than you, Leo, my favorite playmate was a boy near my age who also happened to be white. Once we started school because of my skin color, he was no longer allowed to play with me. That's terrible. It was, and unfair to me, and it made me angry. But my parents gave me a lesson that has guided me for the rest of my life. They taught me that racism, thinking people are better than or lesser than because of skin color, is wrong. And to hate the wrong, but never the wrongdoer. Yo, man. I mean, the next line you know is going to be the content of their character, not by the color of their skin, by the content of their character. You know it. Look, there's only one more video we have to play from PragerU down there in Florida. Um, that's Frederick Douglass. Now, if you guys know anything, you know that this is one of the most, this is the most photographed man of his century. You think about of the, the 19th word, century. Mm-hmm. I said of his century, of the okay, 19th sorry. century. That's, a, no, I heard, okay. fifth. Hey, I heard hey, fifth for some reason. Hey, I heard hey, fifth. hey, Rachel, you think I feel like, you think I think that Frederick Douglass was around in the fifth century. I get no, it. I think no, I think I thought no, you just nigga. misspoke. You said fifth, fifth <laughs> century. Rachel, Rachel's like, Rachel's like, God damn, man, fifth century. You think they had cameras? Like, like, you, you think they had cameras in the fifth? I was century? just trying to be a teammate, just trying to help. Hey, I feel you. Thought you misspoke. I feel okay, you. let's please. hear. Let's Most hear from noted, man of the 19th century. noted yeah. fifth century abolitionist uh, Frederick Douglass, and what prayer you has him saying, children. Our founding fathers knew that slavery was evil and wrong, and they knew that it would do terrible harm to the nation. They wanted it to end, but their first priority was getting all 13 colonies to unite as one country. The southern colonies were dependent on slave labor, and they wouldn't have joined a union that had banned it. Are you okay with that? I'm certainly not okay with slavery, but the founding fathers made a compromise to achieve something great, the making of the United States. It was America that began the conversation to end it. But Leo is correct that big problems need to be approached very carefully. Have you kids heard of William Lloyd Garrison? No. Nope. He's an abolitionist like me. And he and I used to be friends, but we aren't any longer. We don't agree how to solve problems. William refuses all compromises, demands immediate change, and if he doesn't get what he wants, he likes to set things on fire. (laughs) Sounds familiar. Sounds like you know the type. Yeah, we've got that type in our time. Okay, so I want to say, I want to start with the last video first. All right, but before I jump into the last video, a little seriousness this, there are a lot of educators down in Florida who obviously think this is terrible, right? Um, PragerU claims that parents have been pushed out of the education of their children. And because parents have been pushed out of the education of their children, they're offering this as supplemental curriculum for parents to be able to give it to their children and teach them about their version of history. Uh, 
the Department of Education says that they reviewed PragerU's kids and determined PragerU's kids videos and determined the materials aligned to Florida's revised civics and government standards. It's up to individual school districts whether or not they'll use this supplemental material. Um, there are they seem to have this notion that there's all of this left wing propaganda, so they want to counter it uh, with with what they was clearly white right wing propaganda. Um, a lot of parents down there are are, are uh, very upset. A lot of LGBTQ plus uh, organizations down there are very upset because obviously, if you listen to a lot of that stuff, it is ridiculous. Uh, I'll start with something here. The last part of the Frederick Douglass video is my my problem with a lot of this stuff. Okay, Donnie, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go back to the last part of the video. We'll talk about the other two videos uh, as well, but the last part of the video is where he's talking about his friend, William Lord Garrison, and how he likes to uh, deal with problems. He's an abolitionist like me, and he and I used to be friends, but we aren't any longer. We don't agree how to solve problems. William refuses all compromises, demands immediate change, and if he doesn't get what he wants, he likes to set things on fire. Sounds familiar. Okay. So it takes a very superficial knowledge of American history to know that what they are talking about, and they're talking about, hey, the woke mind virus of today, that that is as American as anything that we've ever had, right? No taxation without representation. They're demanding change. They're not getting the change that they want. They don't want it incrementally. Didn't happen all overnight, right? But Mm -hmm. they came to an understanding that they wanted America and their participation in this this country, excuse me, they wanted their participation in the British kingdom on this country to be a very specific way. They didn't get what they wanted and they started fucking shit up. Straight up. Right. Straight up, there wasn't a compromise that was going to assuage them, assuage them that was going to come from the other side. They said, hey, this is what we have to have. If we're going to play taxes, we have to be represented. We have to be able to worship. We have to be able to do all of this stuff. If not, we take all your tea, we throw it into the, in, into the harbor, and then we fight. Okay? Happened again. Not even 100 years later. It happened uh, during the Civil War. You had two different sides that were at a cultural impasse about how they saw the present and future of the comp- uh, of the country. States' rights versus uh, federalism. You had slave owners versus non-slave owners, right? And there was mm-hmm. no compromise other than slavery in perpetuity or no slavery that was going to get to the middle. So you know what we do? We fight, right? Mm-hmm. So even in that right there, what they're saying is the people that are asking for things by the way, that they've been asking for in America for so long, just won't do it docile enough. Like it takes a very, very like infinitesimal understanding of American history to know that if somebody has been asking for the same thing for a hundred years or 200 years, that they've shown way more patience than the straight white male orthodoxy of America has ever showed when they feel threatened, okay? Because when they feel threatened, they go, fuck it, let's go, let's fight about it. And I don't have any issue with that, but it's obviously a lie. Um, 
with Dr. King and uh, uh, Christopher Columbus, it's hysterical, <laughs> the hypocrisy that's going on. Christopher Columbus and his remarks on slavery are really interesting because that's not true. Thomas Jefferson was a student of the Enlightenment, right? He was a student of the Enlightenment. He understood how evil slavery was. He didn't do anything for the greater good of America. He did something for the greater good of himself. He was a wealthy landowner and it enriched him to have slavery, to have slave labor. And that's a decision that a lot of the framers made, that most, if not all of the framers made, a large portion of the framers made. The the actual rewriting of history is to say that they had some kind of grand view of what the country could become and they tolerated this intense evil in order to achieve that. They tolerated that intense evil and propagated that intense evil in the name of capitalism. And that's, them's the facts, Prager, you. The facts. So like, Rachel, of the three of those. Uh-uh. <laughs> what? what? We got the three what? Well, of the three of those, which one did you feel like was spitting the most facts? Was it Dr. King? Spitting the most facts? Yeah, come on, man. Prager, you it up. How about I say which one was the worst? Okay, give it to me. Frederick Douglass. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's so many things. I mean, even the complimenting of his hair. If you know anything about Frederick Douglass, you already pointed out that he's the most photographed uh, Black person of the 19th century. And that's because of what he thought the importance of the camera show, right? He felt like the camera didn't lie. He felt like it was an important tool to show what was happening during slavery and 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 racism. And the fact that, and he was particularly against like smiling in pictures and he always wanted to have a stern look and look directly into the camera because he didn't want to make it seem like everything during this time was a-okay. He didn't want people to look back and see him in pictures and think, wow, it wasn't that bad. He was, you know, he was happy. Look, there he is smiling. So the fact that they even used him as as an animated character who was happy and was making excuses for the founding fathers is a total contradiction to who the person uh, Frederick Douglass is. Like, it's just awful. He would never do this. I mean, the others wouldn't have had these type of conversations either, but he would never do this. I think the, the PragerU thing, it's so bad because... The people who started Prager, you aren't educators. Um, there might be educators who have left the teaching system who contribute to this, but they're obvi- it's obviously misinformation and they're obviously spewing things a certain way because to their own, their own words, they're trying to fight what they feel like is woke education. So they created this to combat it. You said at the beginning, is this inspiring or is it an indoctrination? I think they're creating a cult. That's what it, it's what it feels like to me. This is cultish behavior. I mean, even think about it. You can let, rattle off a number of things that DeSantis is doing and approving and taking away in the state of Florida. But they can ban books in Florida based off of just feeling bad. A parent can come in and say, Vibes. this book makes me feel bad. Challenge it. 
They remove the book and a teacher that, that uses that book is uh, reprimanded and probably removed from being able to teach in the state of Florida. But you can now implement PragerU into your teaching, into your classroom without any repercussions. Nobody can challenge it. You won't be removed from the classroom. You can just teach this and it's not even rooted in anything factual. It's not approved by any, well, I mean, it's approved by the Department of Education, but they're run by DeSantis. So it's like they're not even doing what they're supposed to, to do. It's not based in anything. Like this is so, and, and, and we say this all the time on the podcast, but what's happening in Florida, other red states are watching and they're going to do the same thing. What's going to stop Texas from doing this? Alabama, Louisiana. What's going to stop it? Don't bring in, don't bring Louisiana. I couldn't bring this. in Texas and not say Louisiana. Like, just Sorry. Go, like, do, like keep Sorry. it where it's at. Keep it, keep it on the playground. Like Monique said, I mean, Louisiana will probably be. I'm and you know, you, you know, so let me tell you something else and something I love about this. This is the one thing that I love about it is we don't have to like imagine what Frederick Douglass said about any of this stuff. We don't. <gasps> he wrote. Oh my God. He wrote. Frederick Douglass, it is not light that we need, but fire. Not the gentle shower, but thunder. We need the storm, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. Hmm. Where justice is denied, where poverty is enforced, where ignorance prevails, and where any one class is made to feel that society is an organized conspiracy to oppress, rob, and degrade them, neither persons nor property will be safe. That sounds like a man who understands what his place in America was engineered to be and who was railing against that and who was demanding for immediate change. Find out what any people will quietly submit to and you have the exact measure of the injustice and wrong which will be imposed on them. It seems like to me what he said, what he's saying, oh, Freddie D., was that if you stand by and let people tell you what the rules are, they'll always make the rules for themselves. And that's what's happening in Florida right now. What's happening is Florida is doing two things. One, not willing to have the national conversation. We talk about a national divorce, but do we talk about a national conversation? What wokeism to me really is, is demanding that people have a conversation with you. Demanding that America look at you, no matter who you are, and accept that you are at the table. You cannot exist in this country without talking about me, without talking about what I need, without talking about my rights, my freedom, my ability to use which bathroom I want to use, my ability to be who I am, my ability to go where I want to go, to have equal protection under the law. That's what they're railing against. They're railing against talking to us about it because if we wanted to do it another way, we could do that. See, yeah. the, if we wanted to do it the American way, then what we would do is we would start throwing tea in the harbor and we wouldn't stop after one summer and we wouldn't stop after, after one time. We continuously do it until there was a war. That's the American way. The American way is take whatever might you have and go snatch it. Well, wokeism, to me, where people 
what they really say when they say that word is shut the fuck up. And then they come back with their version of whatever this is. Look, you guys don't have to conjecture what Frederick Douglass would have thought about the world or what Frederick Douglass thought about the world or what Martin Luther King Jr. thought about the world. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote it. They wrote it. They talked about it. But isn't that the issue? Yes, they wrote about it and they talk about it. One, these those books are being banned. And the whole thing is, as we said, it's to indoctrinate. It's, to, it's a cult. It's to rewrite, reshape, re-envision history. So we're going to tell it our way. We know what he said. They know. Mm. But that's why this is being implemented in classrooms. Those kids don't know. They're not reading Frederick Douglass's writing. He's to <laughs> them, he's a, he's a guy with good hair. Who was it, you know? Was it good? Uh, that's what the kids said in this in this thing. They like they his said hair, it was not, cool. not good hair. You know what I mean? Oh, because like, I'm about to say because you can't. I mean, you can say a lot of things about Frederick Douglass. The good hair is not. They're gonna of, say you know that he was that he that he had nice hair. Don King. They liked his hair, mm-hmm. and they're gonna say that he was against slavery, but really understood where our founding fathers were coming from. They were all like he he really approved of what they did, and he understood their methods. Like, that's what these kids are going to learn and really believe it until oh, they hair. step outside of this bubble. So funny. <laughs> I like your hair. And that's just, there's not <laughs> one nigga in the room. You could tell. There's not just, there's not one, it's not in the you room to say, hey, black don't, voices. The, hey, those are quick. black voices. Do you think that was Emmanuel Acho doing the voices? Good night. Good night. Uh, uh, Good day. It's a joke. Good day. Hey, Good night. Y'all, I'm playing. I'm playing, guys. Because it's I just got tagged in a Shout number out. of videos. With him, <laughs> and I'm like, Get y'all, off. we've y'all got to leave move on. that man alone. We've got please. to move on. It was on. a joke, okay? Shout out to EA. It's a joke. Let, leave that man alone, man. Leave him alone. Uh, Neo, that goes Neo. for you too. Bring him <laughs> up. That goes for you too. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke, guys. No, those those were white voices. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. It could have been terrible. Actually, Williams. I take that back because I saw a video on there and it was a black man reading one of the stories. So it was yeah. probably him. Yeah. I encourage you guys to go, you know, Christopher Columbus and the Columbian Exchange and what that meant to the world in so many different ways. In so many different ways. I encourage you guys to uh, go educate yourselves on that. And if you want to know what some of the delightful things that Columbus brought to the natives were, uh, what a nice guy that was. Forget about slavery if you want to know what some of the things that they just did for fun, some of the pastimes. Uh, you guys can go read up on that. We laugh about see. it, but it's like... We, we laugh about it because it's We laugh about it, disgusting. but man, be involved so, in your kids' education so you can understand what they're being taught in these schools because they're trying to slide now, this in. What we're going to come back with in the next episode is what's being done down there in Florida to uh, stem the tide of this and we'll probably have a couple of legal people on there to see exactly what the um yeah because the, we there's there's uh, yeah just an education right just an education just an education okay. okay in this and if not well, maybe we need to come up with something you know that that we can supplement with like what's what can we supplement with well i know? think there needs to be a fight of the way that the department of education is unilaterally changing education to fit DeSantis's narrative. And we haven't even talked about what's happening in Texas with the removal of libraries in Houston and HISD. Yeah. We haven't even, we haven't touched on that. I know some of y'all want us to talk about that. We haven't even, 
I see it. There's just so much fuckery going on. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. Let's talk about Neo real quick. Speaking of fuckery. Oh, uh, Neo Jesus. went on the Gloria Velez podcast. Shout out to Gloria Velez. Um, and he I talked really about... I remember her. Yeah, she's one of the all-time greats. Like, that, that was era. when I was really in my music video era. And, like, she was always in music videos. Let me tell you the difference, though, between this era and the last era. Is it took, like, five videos for us to, like, really know who these women were. So you had to see her in a bunch of videos and then find out. It wasn't until the King magazines, the Smooth magazines came out. You couldn't see somebody in the video go straight to their Instagram. You had to put in the work. Hey, bro, you see the girl from the Thong Song video? You see the girl from the Ja Rule video, the Holla Holla <laughs> video? That was Gloria Velez. Now she has her own podcast. Shout out to her. Um, uh, well, yeah. But she's problematic too up in this video. So let, let her slide. We over here com complimenting her from the past, not the present. I guess she's fucking up too. Um, <laughs> So it's Neo and Gloria Velez. And maybe we'll bring Gloria Velez on to talk about this. We're out to Neo right now. Maybe we'll bring them on to, to try to understand yeah, what the Yeah, you can bring Gloria. You can bring Gloria on, yeah. I know, Glo. Um, And so they both disagree with the idea of supporting a transgender child's identity and allowing them to seek gender-affirming care. Now, this entire thing with Neo here is a whole journey. So let's hear what Neo said on the podcast first. Donnie, give me that. Parents have almost almost forgotten what the role of a parent is. Amen. It's like, okay, Lost if your little boy comes to you and says, Daddy, I want to be a girl. And you just let him rock with that? You just let... Right. He's five. Right. And where did he get that if from? If you let this five-year-old boy decide to eat candy all day, he's going to do that. Exactly. Like, when, when did it become a good idea to let a five-year-old, let a six-year-old, let a 12-year-old make a life-changing decision for themselves? Right. When did that happen? Right. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. I, I, just, I don't get that. I and get to that. medicate these young kids that are five, six, growing up and knowing that it, it affects their brain, it affects their organs, it mm -hmm. makes them sick, but they're not allowed to do drugs, they're not allowed to do alcohol. Right. We can medicate them. He can't them drive a car yet, but he can decide his sex. Right. Oh, right. What sex orientation? And he can cut up his pee pee. And, and that, to me, that makes no sense whatsoever. Is, I, so I, I don't know if this is true, but I heard a rumor that they, they, they either passed or are trying to pass a law in L.A. that states if your child comes to you and asks to do some of these things and you say no, they could take your kid from yeah, you. Yeah, that's true. Just passed in California. That does. That makes no sense. They want us to have no control over our children. I don't, I don't get it. In schools. I don't get it. Hospitals, libraries. <laughs> Library. Library. Um, okay. So after this, obviously they kicked Neo's ass. And after the, <laughs> after the criticism, Neo posted a statement on his social media expressing his deepest apologies. I understand how my comments could have been interpreted as insensitive and offensive. Gender identity is nuanced and I can honestly admit that I plan to better educate myself on the topic. So I can approach future conversations with more empathy. At the end of the day, I lead with love and support everyone's freedom of expression and pursuit of happiness. Neo left that up. And then Neo was like, fuck it. We back in these streets. And he posted another video as a response to his video. And this is that video, Donnie. What's going on, loved ones? This is Neo. All right, listen. I normally don't give too much of a damn about what y'all think about what I do, or what y'all have to say about what I say, whatever. I normally don't care because, like I said, opinions ain't special. Everybody got one. However, this is something I feel very strongly on, and I need y'all to hear this from the horse's mouth, not the publicist's computer. So check this out. 
First and foremost, I do not apologize for having an opinion on this matter. I am a 43-year-old heterosexual man raising five boys and two girls, okay? That's my reality. Now, if my opinion offended somebody, yeah, sure, I apologize for you being offended because that wasn't my intention. My intention is never to offend anybody. However, I'm entitled to feel how I feel. I'm absolutely entitled to feel how I feel the same way you are entitled to feel how you feel. I ain't asked nobody to follow me. I ain't asked nobody to agree with me. I was asked a question and I answered the damn question. Okay. I have no beef with the LBGTQIA plus community whatsoever. I ain't got no beef with y'all. Do whatever the hell it is you want to do. Do what you want to do with your kids. However, Somebody asked my opinion on this matter, and this is how I feel. I will never be okay with allowing a child to make a decision that detrimental to their life. I will never be okay with that. I don't. I, I definitely plan to educate myself a little bit more on this matter. However, I doubt that there's any book anywhere or any opinion that somebody's going to tell me that's going to make me okay with letting a child make a decision like that. Okay. Rach, your thoughts. You don't need to comment on everything that you're asked about. Sometimes you just be like, I don't know enough about that to speak on it. And he even references that when he's talking. He's like, maybe I, I'll, de I'll definitely educate myself on the topic. He won't, but he should. Because one, we talked about last podcast about homophobia in the Black community and how deeply rooted it is. Some of the things that Neo was saying were extremely problematic. And, and, and we didn't even play this part, but even in the way that he was talking about mental health and making it seem like it was weak and calling kids sensitive in the way that they express themselves now, whether it be on social media or in life. And it just reiterates these, these problematic tropes of like, it's it's weak to show emotion or like you know you making your children feel like they can't be comfortable enough to express themselves around you because you have, it has to fit a certain narrative very problematic but even more so the conversation between he and Gloria they are equating medical affirming care and gender affirming care and there's a huge difference they keep saying life altering decisions Gender affirming care is not the same thing as, you know, you know, removing certain uh, body parts. That's not what that is. Gender affirming care can be changing your hairstyle, wearing certain clothes, uh, puberty, puberty blockers, which are you can reverse or even um, calling someone. Did I say a different name? Not sure. And so it's so much more in like it's been proven statistically that gender affirming care does save lives. Like the statistics show that uh, there's a statistic that says under the age of 18, it came, this came from the Trevor Project, under the age of 18, those who received gender affirming care hormone therapy were linked with 40 percent lower odds of recent depression and a past year suicide attempt. Um, and the organization also found that 45% of LGBTQ youth seriously considered attempting suicide within the last year. So to be able to have access to gender affirming care or to, you know, acknowledge the way that someone is feeling doesn't always mean the extreme that it's life altering. 
And that's what they confuse. He makes it seem like it's one or the other. And that's why it's better. And I don't even know everything, but I at least know that that's not the same thing. And they're equating that. And it's very dangerous. It also lends to voice and incites other people who are against the community to feel they can speak out. They can be hateful. And in some instances, even violent towards them because they don't respect them or see them as people. So uh, Neil's is full of shit. Neil's full of shit. I'm, when I say Neil is full of shit, I don't mean that Neil is full of shit because he has feelings about the way he would rear his kids or anything like that. But what Neil did was planted a flag. And let's just call this what it is. Neo stood in the gap. This is the side of society that I am on. Mm-hmm. I am on the side of this normality that we have always expected and understood and that is what is right and makes sense. This, this, my idea of this heteronormative, heteronormative worldview, this gender normative worldview, that is what makes sense. That's the sensible thing. All this other stuff, this newfangled stuff, this crazy stuff you guys are talking about, it's crazy. It's out of here. I'm a 43-year-old heterosexual man. And I'm living in a world where certain things are the way they are and certain things aren't the way they are. And I'm telling you, I'm one of the sensible ones. And the only thing that bothers me, not the only thing, but what bothers me more than anything else is that you're cloaking that under, hey, it's just how I feel about it. Right. Hey, it's just how I feel about it is a piss poor excuse for the brand of American oppression that marginalized and oppressed groups have had to deal with. Hey, it's just how, it's just my opinion that black people shouldn't be able to visit the same water fountains as white people. Hey, it's just my opinion that women shouldn't be able to vote. Hey, it's, I'm not a, I'm not a, a, a lawmaker. I just think women are stupider than men. So why would we give them the, the ability to vote? Hey, it's just my opinion. It's just my opinion that you shouldn't be able to go to school with me. Mm-hmm. Even if going to school in your neighborhood is probably better for you. But it's just it's just my opinion that you shouldn't be able to have the right to vote. It's just my opinion that you shouldn't be able to have equal protection under the law. I don't think you're as good as me. I'm not making the rules. I'm not in City Hall. I'm not in the police department. I'm not somebody that... Uh, that controls these things. I'm just one person and it's my opinion that you're not as good as me. Who does that affect? Well, it doesn't affect anyone if it's just your opinion. But the minute that you let everybody know that you see society in this one way, they, my friends, are going to challenge you on it if they're living a different life than what you are. And so before you let that opinion out of its carcass, before you let it out of its dead non-living shell, which is what an opinion that is not based upon any research is. It's a dead opinion. Before you let that out, you need to do your work. If Neo feels that he's done the work, if he's looked at the statistics statistics from the Trevor Project that you've looked at, if he's looked at, shut up, if he's looked at um, uh, what gender-affirming care does for children who have gender dysmorphia, if he's looked at those numbers, if he's considered it, if he's, my God, talked to someone or engaged with that community, which, by the way, 
is work that I still need to do. If he's done all of that, then take your opinion out there and share it with the whole world. If not, it's ignorance. That's not based in anything other than you not fucking getting it. And that's the problem that we're dealing with today. What we're dealing with today is we have guys who are good at writing songs, attempting to write society. Neil is an incredibly talented guy. But what the fuck do we care what Neil thinks about this? Yeah. And by the it, way, and by, by the way, I know that's what he said, but obviously he doesn't feel that way because he's acting like whatever, man. <laughs> What movie is this from? Have you checked your statistics? Shut up. What movie is that from? What Have I checked my what? I don't know. I don't know the movie. What's the movie? Fun with Dick and Jane. I never saw that. That's the type of shit that y'all watch in the judge's house. I never saw that. No, it's Jim I never, Carrey oh, I never, movie. I, never, I, never I love Jim Carrey. You're talking about the movie Have where they robbing checked. banks and shit? Yeah. I never, I'm not watching Have you checked shit, your statistics? Whatever. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Um, so... The saga is finally over. Tory Lanez has been sentenced. Um, and there's no one who knows more about the trial, about the outcome, um, about the inner workings of it than one Megan Cuniff. Current work is at Legal Affairs and Trials with Megan Cuniff. Megan, the reporter, is her actual name, is what we call her. Uh, she's joining us today on Higher Learning. We had her on before Tori was sentenced. We now know it's 10 years that he's going to be serving or 10 years that he was sentenced to for the shooting uh, of Megan Pete, a.k.a. Meg the Stallion. First question for you, Megan. Thank you for joining us. Um, how much time do you actually think Tory Lanez will serve for shooting Meg? It'll definitely be under nine years or so. He's already getting credit for about 300 days. They're crediting him for the time served in jail. He gets a 15% increase on that, uh, on those days. And then Judge Hereford made the decision to credit him for the 40 days on house arrest. And then being in state prison instead of federal prison, he has a much better chance of getting a reduction beyond that for good time or, or various things. So he could serve about... 85% of his sentence or so. And that was actually even mentioned during the hearing. Uh, one of the prosecutors said that whatever he's sentenced to, he's, he's unlikely to serve exactly that much time. It could be 85% or so. So if you had to give a 
number of years, just based on your knowledge, like a round number, what would you say? Seven and a half to eight years. Mm. Maybe well, a eight would be a good guess. Longer to, yeah, exactly. That's still a long time to go away, especially when you're, you've got a career that was going on. Well, the way people supported him going in, I'm sure he will have a lot of support, sadly, coming out, despite the conviction. Were you inside the courtroom, Megan? Yes, yes, I was. It was a long two-day hearing. It, it was really unusual how the judge would let this hearing stretch out for so long. I mean, there were some people who went in there thinking that this was going to be a half an hour. Like, we were going to be in and out right. and have a and it's extended into the next day. So, so yeah, then, and that meant that by the time the sentence was handed down, frankly, everybody was so fatigued and it was so miserable in the courtroom that the reaction, there was no big outburst or anything like that. But obviously his family was pretty dejected. I saw the, uh, he's known her since sixth grade and she's the mother of his son. And actually Jose Baez, Tori's lawyer, described her as his fiance, but she really went to bat for him, spoke uh, to the judge and also spoke to some doctors who evaluated him for alcohol use disorder. And I could see her had her head down and because, you know, I mean, that's the father of her child and all her letters were about what a good daddy is and and that, you know, she wants her son to have him in his life. So she was just kind of dealing with the fact that, you know, for the next 10 years, he's not going to be around. But although, like we said, it'll probably be more like eight, nine or so. Well, what was it that took so long to where this was a two day sentence hearing? And, and, and part of it, I, I think it was overall the judge being transparent and, and thorough, but it was just the judge's approach to, you know, how he runs the courtroom. It was like we saw in the trial when I went in there and was surprised that this seemed like a, a simple case with so few witnesses that if he'd done an eight to four trial schedule or something, this would have been a four day trial, but it stretched over into nine days or so because of the hours he kept. So, you know, this is kind of the way he approaches his courtroom. Like I said, I talked to somebody who knew him or or worked for him at one point. And he told me, you know, don't be surprised if there's not a ruling on the first day and said, you know, he's giving him way more than he needs to give, meaning Tory's lawyers, everything that he's allowing him to do. And he said, it just doesn't make sense, but well, Go ahead and ask anyone who knows David if the things he does make sense. So, (laughs) but one thing was apparent, especially in the the second day when we got into him asking questions and doing the argument is he's certainly not stupid. He's, he's very smart and he knows he likes case law. And I think because he is so busy and has such a big calendar that he doesn't do a lot of oral argument and arguing about the law. So when it happens, it kind of takes him back and makes him feel nostalgic for, you know, (laughs) why why he wanted to be a judge. So it was like, well, all these people in the courtroom maybe don't need to be forced to sit here for two days just to see somebody sentenced, but okay. <laughs> um, let's get to these letters. Yes. Because yes. I, I think that something that a lot of people are curious about right now, um, in addition to how this could have gone differently for Tori, is some of the letters that some of the people wrote in support of him and you know, this is gonna affect them and their public persona, even while Tori is in jail. Uh, now I saw that Mario wrote one and yeah. that's up on your Twitter, but let's talk specifically right now about Iggy Azalea before we get to Mario. She had said a couple of things that it seems that her letter to the judge directly contradict. Why don't you tell people what Iggy had said publicly about the letter she wrote and what it seems like is a little bit different in the actual letter or whether or not you think there's anything different in the actual letter at all. 
Yeah. When word first got out that she had had written the letter, of course, we had limited information because the judge was just providing a brief summary. And his summary was Iggy Azalea said that he's a talented songwriter and she was seeking a sentence that's, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, transformative and not or transformative and not life destroying. And then she taken to Twitter and said that uh, she doesn't support anyone. And, you know, said we're, we're, it's understandable that we'd be, we'd be sensationalizing this, but uh, she, she, she just was asked to give her uh, views on the case and that she hasn't talked to Tori in months and that she has no need to. And the letter that was submitted was written back in February but when you read it, it's just kind of almost over the top glowing. And first of all, how she's, you know, praising the judge and, and praising herself. And, <laughs> and she says that she talked to him a week before and she'd hired a lot of his staff members. She'd hired him to be the executive producer of her album. So it's, it's kind of hard to read this and be like, and then all of a sudden, after you wrote this letter, you just stopped talking to him. You haven't talked to him at all ever since. But, you know, it. it I I, uh, I I I I think it uh, whether you can classify that as a support letter because she was saying I don't support anyone and that she didn't weigh in on what happened that night, but she does make it pretty clear in the letter that the, she thinks he was wrongly convicted and that the jury got it wrong, and she basically blames it on him not testifying that his choice not to testify is what led the jury to do that, and she blamed it on uh, in, in an inadequate counsel. Jeez. It, yeah, basically saying that his lawyers, you know, weren't didn't give him good advice, and if if only he testified, he would have been able to overcome it. And I mean, like I I said on my own live when I was going through the uh, letters on on YouTube. I mean, my my dad was a criminal defense attorney, and he once told me that he had some clients who had letters of support written for them that he would never actually want to put before the judge who was sentencing them. And I'm not sure if any of these are extreme enough to qualify, but a lot of them are just this isn't going to matter to the judge. And some of it is almost kind of insulting. And in Iggy, uh, Iggy's letter, I wonder how he actually reacted to it. Just the, the reciting of her accolades and, and just the kind of just puffing up that was going on in there. I'm just wondering how much it would really sway him. I'll let you ask the Mario question, Van, but what was the letter about the hair loss? (laughs) (laughs) And that was, that was funny. I was thinking, it's 75 letters and most of them are all about charity work. And there was stuff about, you know, a, a guy was feeling suicidal and he credits Tori with basically saving his life. And he's going through the, the judge is going through the list and he says, and then there's a, a doctor who treated uh, the Mr. Uh, Peterson for hair loss and says he's been a significant help to other men experiencing hair loss or something along the lines of that. And then he just immediately moves on to, and then there's a letter from a charity person. Who said, and it was like, just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Could you go back to, to that one? Yeah, c- okay. Come on here. But then they were kind of, throwing in everything. They're really going all out here, but it's kind of funny. I, when, when you get the letter that, that is what it says, but I said, I get the impression just from the way judge Hereford summed this up that he found this letter pretty hilarious because the letter goes on to say that Lane's works with the doctor on affordable healthcare issues and trying to bring, bring these issues to light and do things in African-American communities. So I was saying, if, if you're going to really fairly sum up that letter, you should probably mention something about the, the affordable healthcare, maybe something in the end, but Hereford was just all about the hair loss thing. Man has a connection. You guys want to hear something funny? <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I've ever, ever told this story before, but Megan, I went to that doctor's office for a consultation for a hair transplant. Yeah. And when you are there, 
and you are a black man, they show you examples of celebrities that have had successful hair transplants. And one of them is Tory Lanez. <laughs> Think about the bald men of the United States, Your Honor. <laughs> Peace. Um, Mario, uh, who's a fairly widely respected and loved R&B singer, uh, wrote a letter in support of Tory Lanez as well. And that letter has been provided by you on your Twitter, and now people are mulling over it. Was someone like him that writes a letter in support of Tory that must be aware of the online discourse surrounding this case and how people view Tory in light of the fact that he's convicted of assaulting Meg the Stallion with a firearm? Is there a chance that these people did not know that these letters were going to be made public because there's no way I would feel that Mario would write that letter if he felt like this was going to come to light. Did, did they think these letters were private and only between them and the judge? 100%. And that was the big takeaway from uh, Iggy's tweet. Was she even said, I, I was told this was going to be for the judge only. I was like, oh, that's a... That's almost a headline right there. And yeah, I mean, if she was told that, you have to imagine the other people were told that, you know, no, this won't be filed publicly. This is between you and the judge. Because she even questioned, uh, you know, I was told this would just be between me and the judge, but now it's being read and discussed publicly. And that's a huge credit to Judge Hereford. You know, we're not in a private mediation uh, setting here. This is a public courtroom. He's technically an elected official, and he knows what a high-profile case this is. And I mean, I'd almost think that judges would find it a little insulting that, you know, celebrities or just anyone could think that they could use their, tout their name, say they, you know, broken records from the Beatles and think that they can do that in private because they're clearly trying to sway him and persuade him to uh, go one way or the other on the sentencing. And the idea that they just think that that can be done in private, it's like, no, that's pretty traditionally always done in public. I mean, I remember the last time I did a big story about, uh, character letters for sentences was uh, Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos. Her her. her letters had, she had a letter from Senator Cory Booker, which (gasps) who knew that Cory Booker was friends with uh, Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah. 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 Who who, who knew? But I mean, hold on. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. I did. What did he say? That they'd known each other for a few years. Like he, he met her at a dinner and that, uh, yeah, he, he didn't opine about, her her crimes or anything, but just talked about how yeah that he she was a great person. He he went to bat for Elizabeth Holmes. I mean, it was just like, what is this? But he he had to have known, especially in the federal court system, it's so much easier to get documents because they've got the online system. So LA Superior Court, even though it's 2023, everything is still filed by paper. You have to go into the clerk's office to get stuff. It's just harder to get stuff. And I think attorneys think they can kind of take advantage of that and just do stuff in private. And to Hereford's credit, it was like what he did with some other documents and some other emails that came out during the motion for new trial hearing. He made a point that they were going to be public. And it was an email between uh, Sean Hawley, who was uh, uh, Tory's original attorney, who didn't end up doing the trial. And it's her telling him 
two weeks before the trial begins that she doesn't think the Kelsey defense, aka blaming Kelsey for shooting Megan, is a viable defense. And that if he wants to pursue it, he needs to talk to that George McDesian guy and see if he's willing to do it. So Hereford has really opened up a lot of things and, and been pretty transparent as, as annoying as his trial schedule is. I love it. I'm glad yeah. he is. So we know we're not getting a retrial, but, or it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it, my, it, it, it could happen because he, he is going to appeal. He's going to do a okay, notice. That was my question. So, uh, there is a whole process for that. I think the chances of him, uh, of, of something happening like that are, are very, very low, but he's definitely going to pursue it. And, you know, there's always a chance that something could happen at the appellate court level, but that's like an 18 month process that we're going to be seeing. Um, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh no, were you going to say? Go ahead. I was going to say he is actually at Jose Bias said that he's going to ask for bail, uh, pending appeal. So there's actually a hearing next week. He's going to mm-hmm. be back in court. I was just like, oh gosh, we got to do this all over again. But the chances of him getting bail really are zero percent. I mean, when he has the pretrial uh, violations that he had, the judge said that he's not eligible for probation. I mean, there's just no way in heck he's going to release him on bail next week, but that's technically a motion that you can bring. So they're going to do that. So we might see some issues teed up in their motion for bail that talk about the appellate issues, but really that's what his motion for new trial was. And, and the judge was pretty clear on everything that he didn't think any, any of them had had merit the arguments that he made so i think the chances of a successful appeal are really low but it's still definitely going to happen the, the process is going to play out all right last question for me um this case played out in a very specific way uh the incident happens everybody runs to separate bunkers there's a moment where we are left to litigate for our own uh, conversation, what happened. Meg makes her accusation or she tells the truth, should I say. Um, and then Tory Lanez goes into full out assault. Let's just be real. Tory yeah. Lanez then begins to talk indirectly, directly uh, about her, about what happened, about went on, about what went on using um, blogs, using his social media, using his music, all to cast her in the role of liar. Um, and it was very aggressive. Uh, yeah. At the end of all of that, it's a 10-year prison sentence. In your legal opinion, do you think that there is a way that Tory could have gone about this entire thing that perhaps showed a little bit more contrition, a little bit more remorse, uh, that wasn't quite as aggressive towards her that would have ended up in a different outcome for him. Yes, yes. I, I, it's hard to say how much it would have affected his sentence, but the judge made really clear that he he thought that the post-shooting conduct was a major aggravating factor in the case. He even used the word major. So... The idea that he would have gotten 10 years if he just kept quiet about the whole thing, I, I think that's kind of out of the question. I'm sure he would have gotten a lesser sentence. I mean, the judge really sent the message that he thought the the uh, post-shooting conduct was was a real issue and and even made a point of saying that legally he, he had an, a, a reason to not consider lack of remorse by Lanes because technically, legally, 
you would have to have a prior admission from Lane's basically saying that he did it and then he went to trial and was convicted and now he won't admit it. That's why when prosecutors were <clears throat> arguing about the lack of remorse, they kept pointing to his phone calls from jail, or his phone call to Kelsey and then his text message to Megan after he was out saying that they were, uh, um, that they were admissions. But the judge just ruled that lack of remorse legally wasn't an issue, but he basically assured the prosecutors that it wasn't going to matter because he was going to take into consideration all the social media posts. So they definitely came back to bite him. The social media posts, the song lyrics, he would have gotten a lesser sentence without that. How much of a lesser sentence, we don't know, but the judge made it clear that was an aggravating factor. Mm. So is that why in his sentencing, he tried to take it back because he calls her a good friend and kind of alludes to that he that he cared about her? Kind of what he should have probably done in the beginning. It was like a, a Hail Mary, it seemed like. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting because on, on that same uh, conversation, though, on that same comments, he, he <clears throat> still didn't admit didn't admit anything. He said that he made some bad mistakes that night, that he said some very immature things, but that the victim was his friend. He still cares about her. So I think, I'm I'm not sure how Megan would, would feel about that. I mean, he's still not admitting that he shot her and he's saying, Oh, she's my friend and I still care about her. I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure. I'm just not sure how that would resonate and how much of an apology or how, how touched Megan would feel to hear him say that. Mm. Megan. You're doing great work. Like you're out here. You're 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 a full on star now. It's a, you're a full on star. It's happening. You're you're out. What's what's the future like for you? Are you are you about to? I see you're doing. You have a YouTube channel that I've subscribed to. Uh, what's going to be happening on the YouTube channel in terms of your breakdowns of legal stories and all of that different stuff? What's happening over there? Tell us about the future of Megan the reporter. I, you know, I'm going to be bringing more cases to life through YouTube and in my articles on, on legalaffairsandtrials.com. I think it's a great way to reach people who might not be reading the articles or might just not have the time to really dive into something. And in the day of, you know, YouTube and aggregation, I like to say I got to go on YouTube and read my story aloud before somebody else does. So might as well try to, try to <laughs> corner that. But I think there's a, a huge room for discussions and then uh, covering celebrity trials. I, I definitely don't want to become a reporter or one of those people who just sits at their desk all day and reports on whatever trial is being live streamed that everyone else is covering. I mean, I think what I bring to the table is good old fashioned reporting skills that I should be using on the ground for you know trials that are, are less covered. But I also am realizing that I need to embrace the celebrity trial beat in LA because there are a lot of cases that I cover in federal court and in white collar criminal cases, LA public corruption. And I, I still want to cover those and I'm keeping an eye on them, but I've gotten so many followers and subscribers in the last few days. I'm like, if I send out a story on the sentencing recommendation for this LA politician, there people are gonna be like, who is this guy? You know, they obviously want <laughs> Tory Lane's news and, you know, other celebrity news. There's ASAP Rocky has an assault case that's going to be coming up uh, for a preliminary hearing or something. And there's, you know, it's LA, there's, there's lawsuits. There's actually, you know, who's at the federal courthouse right, right at this moment is uh, Smokey Robinson in a breach of contract lawsuit. I actually saw him yesterday when I went to get the emails at the clerk's office, I would be covering that trial if I wasn't so busy with all of this, but yeah, he was wearing a white suit. He's being sued by his old 
personal manager. And uh, uh, it's been going, the case has been going on for six years, but apparently his trial is supposed to end tomorrow. But the reporter who's watching it told me he thinks it's going a little bit slow. So I'm hoping to get up there because I'm, come on, it's Smokey Robinson. Smokey like, Robinson. Yeah. yeah. All right. That is Megan Cunif. Uh We're going to keep, we're going to, we're going to stay locked in with you. Please do. We're going to stay locked in with you doing great work, giving us all the information. Um, it's finally over. It's over. Well, I guess it's not over. I guess there's more to come. We'll see yeah, what happens. There's a hearing next week. It would be, <laughs> yeah. it would be hilarious if Tory got bail. Like it, it would like the streets would, would melt. Yeah. Hereford would just, it'll be interesting to see what Hereford Hereford says, but uh, one thing, um, you know, the court transcripts, because especially at the end of the day, you're taking notes by hand and your hand is so cramped up and here comes the most important stuff, Megan's comments and Tori's comments. So there's no way everybody got everything verbatim, but that's when our friend, uh, the the real court reporter, the transcriptionist comes in. So once we get those, those will be great to give out to everyone. Yeah. All right, Megan, thank you for joining us on Higher Learn. We'll check back in with you. Okay. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. You could be doing anything this week, right? You've got work errands, friends, and a whole lot of fun in between. That's why the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Edward Bloom is back back at it again. He is uh, suing the fearless fund which is founded by Keisha Knight-Pulliam and Simone and Ayanna Parsons. It's a, a fund that awards $20,000 in grants. Now, here's the deal. Black women are less than 1%, make up less than 1% of the money that VCs give out in, uh, in, in, in funding. They, and they don't get the venture capital love, okay? So these ladies said, hey, we're not getting the love, so guess what we'll do? We'll do it. We'll put together a fund, and then we'll award that money to women of color um, to get them started and the various things that they want to do. They're a venture capital fund. Uh, and now they're being sued. Edward Blum, the Alliance for, the American Alliance for Equal Rights, which played a crucial role in the U.S. Supreme Court's June affirmative action ruling. They filed this lawsuit on Wednesday in Atlanta's federal court, accusing them of violating Section 1981 of the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which prohibits racial discrimination in private contracts. The lawsuit focuses on the Fearless Fund's Strivers Grant Contest, which offers black women who own small businesses $20,000 in grants, digital tools, 
um, and to, to help them build their companies and mentorship opportunities. That's a lot of money for these, these organizations. Uh, I saw one of these ladies on uh, Good Morning America. She was on GMA. She was talking about just how much money $20,000 means for a lot of these black-led organizations. They are in partnership with MasterCard, a couple other places. Bloom stated that the lawsuit was the first of many he intended to file through the alliance to vigorously contest race-based corporate practices. Bloom, the American Alliance for Equal Rights, said some of the group's 60 white and Asian American members were denied grants because of race. This is the most American of problems to have. The most American of problems to have. Inside of this lawsuit and what Edward Blum does is basically the Rosewood and Tulsa trick that has been played on black people. What I mean is you exist in a country that tells you, hey, we're not going to do everything for you. Do it for yourself. So we're going to, we're not going to give you any grants. Fuck it. Fuck you. You don't get any grants, right? You're black. You're a lady. You're not going to get the grants. And then the black ladies go, okay, we'll come up with something and then we'll put the grants together and then we'll give them to black ladies. And then every time black people band together to figure out American problems, America says no. And I, as many times as I say this to you guys, I want to fucking break the computer apart. As many times as I say this to you guys, it falls on deaf ears. Everything that you say we should have done, we've done it. Everything that you say we should have done. Hey, you guys should bank together. Did it. You guys should have your own hospitals. Did it. You guys should buy land. Did it. You guys should join together for political power. Did it. You guys should have people to stand up and talk and speak for you that you empower. Done it. Those people assassinated. Those hospitals burned down. Those candidates killed and gotten out of here whenever they say they want to do anything for black people. Everything that you say that we should have done, we've done it. And every time we do it, America says no. Edward Bloom is single-handedly the most dangerous, more dangerous than Ron DeSantis, more dangerous than Donald Trump, more dangerous than Greg Abbott, more dangerous than uh, Nick Fuentes. Edward Bloom is the most dangerous man in America when it comes to black people. He is literally using his power, wealth, and influence to rewrite American history in terms of advancements made for black Americans. He's doing it. And it's that. working. And it's working. He, it is working. It yeah. is working. Now, we'll say this. What I will say is we might need to be a little bit more savvy about some of this stuff because what I'm unclear about is whether or not there's any sort of violation of this statute in reality that they can sue on. And so I, I, I find the genesis of this, the want to strike this, this the down. lawsuit itself is right. the problem. Right. He's done right. over two dozen of these lawsuits. And his very first lawsuit started in 1992 because he lost a political race in Houston. 
He was running for Congress and he lost it. And what bothered him was the way the district he believes was shaped. And he said that it was made, it made it easier for minority candidates to win the seat. He filed a lawsuit, went to the Supreme Court and he won it. And from then on, he has made it his life's mission to what he feels like, oh, he wants to create a colorblind society, but it really it's an attack against black and brown people to empower white people. That's exactly what he's doing. He hates black and brown people. And if anybody says anything contrary, look at what he has done since 1992 and still doing it. He sits in his place in Maine where he lives and he seeks out people who he's not an attorney, guys, by the way seeks out people who have been denied something or, or have, you know, like spoken out about something unfair. And he uses them as plaintiffs in the case backed with these organizations that he builds to file these lawsuits. And he's successful on several of them. Mm. We should have named him when you talked about the three fighting woke because of the success that he has had. He doesn't want everything, but the success that he has had and how he has been able to reshape law and change how we function in this society because of his lawsuits, you're right, makes him extremely dangerous, extremely dangerous. Um, what the Fearless Fund is doing, first off, is incredible. And I, like you, I'm not familiar with this federal law. I have no idea if, there, if, if he could win, but it's just scary to know that. And I think that there is a a strategy by going after this smaller group rather opposed to the bigger ones, because if there is success or maybe they don't have the resources necessarily to, to defend it, then he can use this to fight against other organizations, bigger organizations that also might have grants that are specific to minorities or, or women. Um, but I do think because the, the fearless fund does receive assistance from bigger organizations that they will file um, amicus briefs to uh, advise the court of the matter. They're not a party of the lawsuit, but to advise the court of the matter. And like as a friend of the court, I guess that's what amicus is, to fight for the fearless fund so they can continue doing what they're doing so they can continue to do it. There's a reason, you gave the statistics, the 1%. There's a reason that they had to start the fearless fund. And if they're successful on this, the disparity in venture with venture capitalism or capitalists is going to be even greater. Mm. If um, this is so, and he's not going to stop. Yeah, he won't stop. So look, I will say this: uh, what we what we do need to do though is we need to sound the alarm on uh, Blum and uh, and what he's got going on because there is a possibility here that we need to do what we're doing in a more shrewd way. Um, and I am about intention. I am one million percent about intention. One million percent about intention. So when I'm doing something for black people, I want people to know that I'm doing it for black people. Having said that, in this particular situation, I'm wondering if it's a better idea to start a fund and then just give the money to black people rather than state the obvious intent of that and then subject yourself to litigation by hyper litigious activists with endless money. So, so I'm, what I'm, what I'm telling you is still happen. 
it could still happen, but it might be a more subtle way of getting around some of this because what these people are, what Edward Bloom is doing now is he's looking for pelts. He's, he's trophy hunting. And these things right. are gigantic trophies. And the bigger the trophy is, the more gaudy of a target all of this stuff is. So it makes other people aware that these, these statutes that were attempted to benefit black people and haven't because if the statutes had really benefited black people, we wouldn't see some of the disparities that we see in some of these industries and in some of these colleges, that these statutes that were actually made to benefit black people somewhat um, are now being used against them as they uh, try to empower themselves based upon their experience in a country who just won't let them in no matter how integrated some people say that we are. There's still situations like this that exist. So yeah. there might there might need to be cultural conversations about how we go about some of this stuff without making ourselves such guardy targets for guys like Edward Blow. I mean, and I even think that he's having people within his organizations, like for instance, with the Fearless Fund, particularly apply, get denied. And then they're like, hey, they're only without even... I mean, I know that that's what they're about, but without even saying, because what they can do is just show a pattern of they only give to this. I applied, I was discriminated against. I mean, again, I'm not sure what, the, what this statute specifically says and if they have to prove intention, which is what makes it hard. Because that's what's happening right now with 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 uh, those trying to get into this, this, this business. They are complaining about discrimination, but then... To show discrimination, you have to show intention, which is harder to do. And then also, these Black VCs are scared of going after the companies that are denying them because then they feel like they'll be blackballed with their careers. It's a lose-lose situation. So maybe the answer is doing what you're doing. And if it is intention, it has to be proven. That's hard. That's harder to prove. Harder to yeah, prove it's, that that it's difficult done. to take legal action against these the VC world because the VC world, the world of venture capitalism, it's this amorphous sort of gigantic network of shared professions, right? That's hard. You'd have to have like one, co one company here. But it is e easy to look at one fund and what they're doing and their stated purpose. You're right. And then use that to uh, sort of get you into what like what their function is and then use it against them, right? So right. you might need to be a little bit more nebulous in what your stated purpose is and just fucking do it, right? Um, and we'll see how this goes. All right, last thing, because it, it's it's obviously hate black people day. We'll we'll uh <laughs> it's been a tough podcast. <laughs> it's a tough podcast for for the blacks. Um last thing here is uh Vivek Ramaswamy. Um he was talking about Juneteenth. He is a candidate for president. And they got him on mic. He was talking about Juneteenth. He uh he was at this campaign event in Iowa. And this is what he had to say about celebrating the end of slavery in America. Single day voting on election day. Yeah. Yeah. We will make election day a holiday in the United States of America, so there's no complaints about it. Canceled Juneteenth or one of the other useless ones we made up, okay? 
I don't, we can't have like everything be a holiday, but we'll cancel one of the other ones and make, make election day a holiday. Do you think Juneteenth is a useless holiday? I basically do. Do you think uh, Memorial, uh, Memorial Day, Veterans Day are useless holidays? I don't, because I have, I have I stand with the presumption of time-tested traditions. Like, like I said, religion is, you know, I call these things cults. I won't dignify them as religious because religions have withstood the test of time. And so I think that if we made a national commemorative holiday for everything that's important and happened in our history, we'd have no working days left. But I think that the spirit of Juneteenth, we already channel into other holidays like Martin Luther King Day like President's Day I think we can commemorate the spirit of that holiday separately so I think that we shouldn't have redundant holidays hmm. what you got Rich? I know he's your guy no he's not my guy he's your guy I think you brought him up first on the podcast before I did we're going to interview him I'm, I, I'm, I'm tired of the, of the topics that we've talked about on the podcast and I'm tired of people using black people, like stepping on black people to promote themselves or to make themselves look better to a certain audience. Vivek celebrated Juneteenth this year. But now all of a sudden, as your poll numbers are increasing or to make yourself look better to this party or to prove yourself, you want to step on black people. And something that means, and rightfully so, a holiday that means a lot to them. Just so you can sound good or that you are anti-woke. And I'm so tired of people doing this to prove themselves to a certain audience. That's exactly what was happening here. Which one is it, Vivek? Just two months ago, you were saying, honoring Juneteenth. And you said, you're honoring how far the country has come and how people can advance through hard work, commitment, and dedication. Now, you want to be against it and call it a useless holiday. And to equate Martin Luther King Jr. Day, um, which obviously is honoring all the works that he did in this country as a civil rights leader toward you know, equality, and to equate that with June 19th, which truly marks Independence Day in this country, not July 4th. June 19th marks it for us as black people and to call that day useless shows that you don't give a fuck about black people at all and i can't wait to at talk to him about that on this podcast hmm. um so so yeah so everything that you said and i thought something else here um so Obviously, we know that there are a lot of lies that come out of uh, the right, right? Obviously, there mm-hmm. are a lot of lies that come out of the right. I'm sure there are a lot of people on the left who think that Juneteenth is a useless holiday, too. Um, but, like, understand what he's saying. What he's saying is black freedom is useless. Yes. Because saying that we have a lot of important things uh, that, has hap- that have happened in the country and if we celebrated them all, then we wouldn't have any working days left. Okay, well, fine. So the question is, what do we have left to celebrate? What, what's important enough to celebrate then? Yeah, sure, we have a lot of important things to celebrate, right? A lot of important things to celebrate. Okay, well, what's, what's important to celebrate? Like, what's important enough to celebrate, right? 
are black people in America important enough to celebrate? That's a question that the country has been wrestling with since black people first got here. The first, the answer at first was obviously no, right? Okay. Then it became maybe. Then it became sure. Then it became ah. And that's where we are right now. It was never an emphatic yes. Right. Right? But it was like, sure. You know how someone asks you, hey, you want to go out Saturday night? And you go, sure. That's the most that black people have ever gotten from America. Hey, are you guys like, are, are we equal citizens? Sure. Sure you are. Is it worth like uh, celebrating the end of uh, our ancestors' bondage? Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. Sure, of course, sure, sure. Never, yeah, absolutely. What's more important than that? Never an emphatic yes, because when you ask somebody to do something, what you really want is, yeah, no problem, bro, what time? You know what I'm saying? Like, what? no problem, yeah, yeah, man, sure. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah no problem. Like, what time? I'll, I'll definitely do that. I'm into that. I'm fucking with that. Yeah, let's go at seven. But when you go, sure, you know that this nigga gonna hit you back at five and be like, I can't do it. Man, I just got in from the gym, whatever. Uh, Brownie got a bad knee. I can't come. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? And so we were in the sure. We thought that meant yes. And now we're in the, uh, we're not sure. Now uh, we don't know. We don't we don't know about that. Vivek is a coward and a racist. He wrote a whole book on anti-woke. Okay. He's a coward and a racist. He is a typical boy for the right. And they love collecting them when they're brown. They love a brown boy. All right, for him to stand there and be asked whether or not Juneteenth uh, is a useless holiday for him to say yes. Think about how racist your base has to be to have a problem with celebrating the end of slavery. And we're not even asking you to come to none of the functions. Because no, you're not even invited. What the we're only asking thing you get is a day off. Just the only thing you get is not have to go to work. You, the only thing you get, the only thing you just you don't have to go to work. That's to how to work. deep your hatred is. It's Literally, a useless it holiday. You know what I mean? And we could talk about Vivek and everything else that's going on. And I think the most pernicious thing here with him is that when you listen to him, he comes off as a charismatic polished lunatic. <laughs> He's a guy that uses all the right words and has all the right jargon and then tells you, let's raise the voting age to 25. <laughs> he has all the right terms and all the right qualifications and then says, hey, let's uh, make everybody have to take a civics test so they can vote. You know, all or of join, that stuff. And join the military. Jo or, or have to join <laughs> the military. He says all of this stuff and then just another snake oil salesman. But I just want people to understand when we're talking about the differences between the left and the right, and they aren't, there aren't many. I agree with you guys. They're not that many difference, not the left and the right. They're marked difference between the left, left and the right. Marked difference. Hold on. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm not saying the word right. There are lots of difference with differences between the left and the right. They're not differences, that many differences between Democrats and Republicans. I just don't believe it, right? But it still remains true in America that to be a Republican, you have to kowtow to and cater to 
an incredibly racist base. It's just a fact. Mm-hmm. And if you're a black Republican somewhere and you don't believe that that's true, you're lying to me, you're lying to yourself. That's enough. Mailbag. Before Mailbag, just, but still on Juneteenth, I feel like um, a lot of the racism or the hatred or the dislike or discomfort about Juneteenth comes from, aside from not wanting to celebrate the end of slavery, but like you said, is not being invited to the holiday. I feel like there is, I feel like there is this thing with certain racists where the exclusion is the thing that they are like harping on or that like hurts them or that brings out that like, that that feeling that Juneteenth is a useless holiday because it's like so they're you, not included. You think Interesting. That's I think whenever there's like a exclusion or like this is not for y'all, this is for us. There's something about that that like rubs them the wrong way. So what? How do you suggest we ameliorate that? Like what? I, what? What? What would you say? So then, do you feel like because this we is the alternative this, is inviting? We this yeah, is five. This is five percent some white man's nigga shit that you are right now. No, I'm not but saying. Like, I'm just explaining, or like that's how I feel. Like they're looking at it. I'm not saying that the alternative, which would be actually inviting them to the celebration, is the way to go. I think there is no solution to it because no matter what, they're going to be butthurt about it. But I just feel like there is something about the exclusion that like adds to the butthurt. So well, I we let stay, white people I, I wanna, invite us to a party this year. Well, hold on. I, I want to stay here for a second because even though we make jokes about uh, what black people do that white people aren't invited to, there are very few things that black people do that white people aren't invited to. I can't really think of anything that we do that white people are not invited to partake in. There are a litany of things that white people do that they let you know don't fucking come over here. You're barred from this. But there are not very many things that we do. And as as much as we joke about Juneteenth, do you think if some people have a Juneteenth function and their white neighbors turn up, it's going to be all good? We I threw a Juneteenth party this year and it was fucking mad very white. white. <laughs> shut up, Rachel. <laughs> so I, I get what you're... I get what you're... Shut up. No, we weren't. We weren't outnumbered. I get what you're saying, Donnie. But I just think that's a little bit of cope from them. I don't really feel like that's Yeah, I don't agree. I, with I get that, it. Donald, I, did, I feel like if it was if it was celebrating the Union Army, I feel like they would be more about it. These races. <laughs> They'd be more comfortable with celebrating the white soldiers and being I I I feel like the white soldiers would be a, that came to t- to let us yeah, know. Like if the it white was something like that. Aspect of it. Exactly. <laughs> oh, if it, no, are you talking about if they were in some way centered in it? Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Obviously, That's then, That's not how I yeah. If they if they were centered if, if they were centered in it if it was if we rename June people Juneteenth to White People Gave Us Freedom Day if we were if we were if we renamed it there'd be a Prager it, U video on it. a Prager U video on it if we renamed it to uh, John Brown White People Gave Us Freedom Nah, I can't do John Brown like that. He one of the OGs. Like, if we renamed it to something that, like, really put Abraham Lincoln gave niggas Freedom Day. If we did it that way, rather than us celebrating the fact that we had agency in our own freedom and stuff like that, sure, they would be down for it. But, I mean, that's neither here nor there. Vivek is, e- either way, is still going to have to sell it the same way in 
the Bible Belt when he's down there trying to uh, trying to win primaries. Just well, he's first going to have to tell them how he's not a Christian. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's, that's, a, that's a question I would definitely well, be asking him. Yeah, I mean, he's not a Christian. That's, I don't have no problem with it that. You know? I didn't say I have you, a problem Pat with Robinson? that. It's, I'm not saying I got a problem with it. I'm just saying who he, the base he has to play into. How does he mm-hmm. reconcile that? Yeah, shout out to all my Hindus out there that Rachel just diss. Please. Let's go to, Stop. <laughs> don't, do, don't start that. <laughs> Let's go to mailbag. Mailbag time. Time to read your letters and then we'll reply to them. Oh, it's mailbag time. Write us with your queries and we'll chime in. The first one comes from Tiny Dancery. They ask, what's the last thing your dog did to tell you that they love you? Uh-huh. Um, You know what Bozeman does? He, I've, I've noticed that Bozeman doesn't like to sleep the whole night in the bed. He jumps yeah, in the bed to make sure that I fall asleep. And then when, he'll only leave the bed after I've fallen asleep. So what I've noticed is that Bozeman puts me to bed at night. I'm starting to wonder if Bozeman thinks that he owns me. Like Bozeman gets okay. in the, he gets in the bed and lays with me until I fall asleep. Then he leaves and he goes and sleeps on the couch. Like he puts me to sleep. I think that's that really precious. Okay. It's true facts. I love when Copper jumps in the bed and he starts off facing me and then he turns to face the door. Like he wants to protect. I, I love that. But that's, that's, I mean, my favorite thing is when Copper, I feel like I'm like, did you just, what were you thinking about when the dog is not even close to you and then all of a sudden just decides to get up, come over to you and put their paw on you or put their head on your lap. And I'm like, were you thinking I miss, I miss her and I want to be close to her? I just think that's the sweetest thing. Yeah, they're great. I love a doggy. All right, what else we got? All right, next one is from The Key Next Door. They ask, what's the best or worst concert you've been to? Oh, worst, Bone Thugs and Harmony. Um, I know it. It was disappointing. It was very disappointing. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not fucking with that. And it was it was so bad. They quit performing halfway through it. I told everybody it's thug. Uh, this is thug club. It had girls <laughs> come up on the stage and just dance. It was extremely disappointing. Best concert, Prince. Drake. Prince. Prince. Uh, my best concert. In my top three. My I'm best my concert I ever been to was uh I haven't been to that many concerts because I don't like live music. My best concert I've ever been to was uh, maybe oh it was uh uh Jay Z and Kanye Watch the Throne. That was a good one. That was a good one. The worst concert I've ever been to. I can't think. I don't know. Like it's it's uh I've never been to a really really bad one. Like a bad one. And there's actually one that was kind of bad, but the artist, I would never I would never diss the artist like that. It's a woman. Why was it bad? Because she didn't want to do all her songs. It wasn't bad. I'll just say, Anita Baker, I went to see Anita Baker and it was dope, but Anita was like on some shit that night. Anita was like, uh, let me tell you, the concert wasn't bad. It's never bad seeing Anita Baker. 
but it probably was the worst concert experience I ever had because Anita would bring up other people to sing her songs, which I even heard people around me like, hey, I love this person, but I don't want to hear them sing this stuff. I want to hear Anita Baker sing it. Yeah, right. of course. What you going no, for? Number two. And then another one was that <laughs> it was almost funny how Anita would be like, all right, I'm giving y'all half this song and then I'm leaving. Like she, oh. she, she would be like, I'm going to do half of, of, of fairy tales and then I'm out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But it was also kind of funny. But if I was talking about the worst, like, oh, I wish it was better. Probably that. All right. What's the next one? All right. Okay, last, last one, one, Donnie. Yep. This is it. Uh, numerous Camp asks, if you were sent to the year 2030 for only five minutes and could Google search two things, what would your two Google searches be? Singularity would be number one because I want to know how close we are to the singularity at that point. And number two would be the average temperature of the earth. That's the first two, first two things I, I Google search when I got to 2030. Really? Yep. I would probably Google if a couple of people were still alive. Um, and I'm not going to say who because I'm not going to wish death on anybody. And that's, that's where I'm going to end it. Christ. We got to go. We got to go, man. Uh, we out. Take the caps off with the Not Stop Learning. I'm Van Lathan Jr. I'm Rachel Lynn Lindsay.